Welcome to the podcast version of Robots in Depth, episode 11, with Dan Cara, in cooperation with Vvolver. Robots in Depth is supported by Aptomica. Visit aptomica.com to connect. You will find all past episodes and more on robotsindepth.com. Oh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. So how did you get started in robotics? Well, it, it, it took a, a roundabout. Like most people, I was my imagination was fired when I was very young. I read a great deal of science fiction um, when I was a teenager and even before that, and then that followed up with movies. And I've always had a technical bent, and <clears throat> in college, certainly, I, I uh, focused on computer science. I was in the information technology space for a while after doing a couple of software startups, and uh, was in uh, a, a, the co-founder and a partner in a number of companies. They're called integrated media companies. So it would be a company that did market research and consulting. They would also have websites or publishing, and they also did events. And I did uh, a couple of startups in the area of information technology, integrated media companies for information technology, computer systems, and so on and so forth, and uh, sold a couple of those. And then I wanted to move on to something different, a new challenge, of a, a more um, interesting uh, at the time uh, subject matter. I went to Japan for a couple of times and came back. I went to an event called Brovodex in 2003, and they had about 55,000 people. This was in Japan at a robotics conference. Uh, a lot of consumer type of things there. So I came back fired up and then took that existing model, the integrated media model that I worked with with IT, and just applied a robotics overlay to it. So uh, launched Robotics Trends, the company, in 2003, and then the first Robo Business event was launched in 2004 in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And it, again, it's, it's, it's cool to see that one of the major conferences is 10 years old or more now, and it, it tells us that our business is moving, uh, moving on and maturing, I would presume. Yes, I mean, the, the event has changed over time. It's weathered a recession. Uh, initially, for the first couple of years, it was very focused on the military aspects. So we had a lot of uh, unmanned ground systems that were um, defense systems, unmanned aerial systems or defense systems. And over time, the, the event has changed. So if you look at uh, this year's event, which is uh, run very, very well, I have to hand it to all the folks involved. It looks great. There's consumer systems, there's industrial systems, there's mobile service robots, and very, very little of the defense sector at the event. So it's, it's changed over time along with the with industry itself. Yeah, because the industry is growing, growing like wildfire. And I think you have a unique perspective in the fact that you've been with us from 2003 and 4 and on. Could you take us down this road of, of, of describing, uh, in the beginning it was lots of defense, but was there anything else? And then describe the, the, the progression you've seen over the years, uh, bringing us to where we are today. And sure, yes, absolutely. And it actually, the changeover going from defense to over into everything but defense now, industrial, consumer, and service robots, mirrored what was happening in the industry at that time. At one time, it was the defense industry which was pushing along uh, the robotics sector outside of industrial robots. Um, industrial robots have been doing very well for, <clears throat> for decades now. But in terms of the other types of robots, it was military funding with the Gulf Wars and a variety of other things were kind of pushing that, including the technologies that were developed. 
Now what you're starting to see is the complete polar opposite of that. The technologies that are developed for the commercial sector are finding their way down into defense systems as, as COTS technology, commercial off-the-shelf technology, and actually developed in either uh, in commercial entities or in research labs and then spun out into commercial entities and then finding its way back to the military. So actually the event itself is a mirror image of what was happening to in the industry at large. And I think that that's, uh, that's probably a, a big trend that robotics is diversifying. But I also think that this fact that we're going from the military who has a very long-term, mm. very hard goal uh, to more commercial technology is also an indication that it is maturing because uh, the, that kind of customer, the new kind of customer, doesn't have the same time horizon or the same budget as the military do. Exactly. They need something they can use today. Right, there is, a, there is they need something they can use today. They don't have 10 years or five years or 20 years horizons. Uh, they also need uh, an ROI, which in the case of the military was <clears throat> not, not an issue. And then also, the, the, in addition to being pushed by the military, it came over about eight years ago, maybe a little bit less, this huge influx of technology coming from the mobile communications sector. Mm. So <clears throat> reduces in prices for enabling technologies such as uh, sensors of variety types or mm. accelerometers or cameras mm. being driven down by the cost of mobile communications technology, commodity manufacturing. Now those technologies are finding their way into robotics products. So you've had a push from the military, you've had a push from the mobile communications sector, and all of this is, is sort of fueling the robotics sector at this particular time. Yeah, and I also think that, that, that the, the, the cell phones and the tablets and the computers we have um, makes us more uh, likely to, to be interested in the next technology revolution because we've seen how significant uh, the, the prior technology revolutions have been and we're looking at maybe I can get the same benefits from a robotics revolution. We certainly see that from the vendor community. Where is the next large, in, the, in their case, consumer marketplace? Mm. Uh, robotics is one of the things that we're looking at, particularly in the area of uh, consumer drone technology, mm. and certainly one where there's a guaranteed win is, is in the autonomous driving mm. area, where you're talking mm. about millions or hundreds of millions or billions of robotic devices, and then certainly the technologies that support that. Mm. Where do you see the actual progresses being made today? Where do you see technologies that are mature, they are applied in a customer's operations and they're being used every day because I think that that's something we should really bring out there to the people that robotics is today, here, right now, providing useful service to, to organizations and to people. Where do you see that being used today in the, a good example of that? Well, the easy one is industrial robotics. Mm. Mm. <clears throat> They've been, it's an ROI that's easily measured mm. in terms of productivity, in terms of quality improvement, in terms mm. of efficiency. Now in terms of the new era of industrial robotics in terms of agile manufacturing. So it used to be just making more things with a higher quality faster and getting them out the door. Now the emphasis is on using robotic technology to manufacture smaller amounts of things very, very quickly and then change over and manufacture something else based on customer demand as opposed to just only making large batches amounts. So, so focus on large batches of basically the same product. Now to move to a proliferation of, of smaller batches of, dif of dissimilar products. Mm. Also, it was limited, industrial robotics one time limited to either auto manufacturing or semiconductor manufacturing. 
Now you're seeing proliferate into other areas from food production uh, in different vertical markets that way and wood processing and that sort of thing all the way down to smaller companies. So not only is are we, they're moving to different vertical market segments of large companies, they're moving into different vertical market segments and also with small to medium businesses. Hmm. And so there's interesting things going on there in terms of what uh, the number of types of vertical market segments they can target and the number of types of applications that these robots are being used for. It's very, very interesting at this time. Um, just the, the, the proliferation of the new sensor types, the focus on vision systems with these particular robots, the new emphasis on collaborative systems that are designed to work in close approximation with human coworkers, makes it very, very interesting in the industrial sector at this time. And again, all tied to demonstrable ROI and a short horizon in terms of, get, of attaining that ROI. Mm. There's other areas as well. Now, if you move into the service robotics sector, so we'll now push industrial out, out to the side, we see uh, robotics being used for warehouse and distribution center operations, mobile robotic systems coming from Amazon Robotics, formerly Kiva Systems, yeah. other types of things doing supply chain automation, uh, in, internal supply chain automation, and in hospitals and distribution centers and warehouse with mobile service robots. Uh, very, very interesting things going on at this time. Tur surgical robots, interventional systems is another example. Day to day, in real companies making real money, robots are being used mm. all the time. Mm. Then you move over to the consumer space uh, in terms of vacuuming robots or even lawn mowing robots. Uh, certainly, vacuuming robots are becoming more and more common, and the other types of robots, robotic pool cleaners, robotic lawn mowers, are becoming are proliferating as well. So, across the board, from, industri from industrial to defense to uh, service robots to consumer robotics, um, robotics technology is being incorporated into all number of different things, being used for all number of applications. Mm. And this is also right here, right now, and and I think that that's a good place to start. We know now the kind of state of robotics is in today. Um, so where do you think we're going in the future? Is it robotics cars, that, uh, autonomous car, that's going to be the, the next product, or do you see anything else? Well, that's a, that's a given. So mm. the <clears throat> there's just too much money. The, the, the social needs, the, the business, business needs, the, uh, just the impetus behind it in terms of manufacturers and a variety of other areas, that's, that's pretty much a, a guarantee. It's just a matter of when and how that occurs. Mm. So <clears throat> that's, that's a given. In terms of robotics generally across all of them, all the different sectors, so defense, industrial, service, and consumer, you see a number of different things happening. Certainly these devices are going to be much more intercommunicate, uh, will communicate with each other to a much greater degree. They're going to be internetworked with people, with other robots, with their environment, and that's going to be continued. Another tailwind, much like we have with mobile communications, much like we have with the defense sector, this initiative to focus on the Internet of Things, being driven by large companies with a lot of money, driving standards, driving technologies, that's going to be the, the third tailwind for the robotics sector. We're also reaching time where the, these robotic systems will become much more intelligent. Uh, so we've always had sort of limited processing that was basically onboard processing on the robot. Then we went out to the cloud to gather other types of information and object models and data models, that sort of thing that we can download. But now we're moving into an era where we're going to have cognition on demand. Uh, using deep learning engines and other types of algorithms and other types of sources to pull down basically cognition or intelligence 
uh, when we want it delivered as a service to the robot. So you're going to have the robot itself is going to become more capable in terms of, of this cognitive capabilities and, and processing power. You're going to have distributed processing in the cloud. It's being augmented with distributed intelligence offered as a service. And then also due to the Internet of Things, you're going to be working in environments that are going to be highly censored. And these sensors are going to tell the robot what these things are, where they are, where the robot's located. And then the robot itself will just be better using uh, imaging systems or other types of technologies to know where it is and what it's doing. All of these are, are acting in confluence at this particular time or in the very near future to give these robots much greater capabilities. The other thing that you'll see in addition to uh, greater cognitive capabilities or greater intelligence and greater interconnectivity inter is you're going to see increasing levels of autonomy. They'll be fed by these types of things, interconnectedness, the great connectivity, the uh, greater intelligence of these robots, now it allow robots to do many, many more things. So we're moving from an era for some types of robots, whether it be they're teleoperated or very limited in terms of their functionality to where they might be able to do some sort of autonomous navigation, localization, and mapping, to you're going to move into areas where they're going to have task autonomy. So instead of just navigation autonomy, so, or teleoperation to navigation autonomy, to moving to task autonomy, so you can tell the robot to, instead of just go there, to go there and do that once it gets there. And then eventually you move away from just task autonomy to much higher level to some people call mission autonomy. So, um, you know, I don't want you to go there and do that. I want you to go there and do that. Then I want you to go somewhere else and do something else and do something else. And by the way, let us know what you're doing. And then if you need other support in terms of robotics, you're communicating with those and they're acting in swarms. So it gets very, very interesting very, very fast. So, for instance, this task autonomy um, could really be to tell them to for instance, a cleaning system, go out and, and, and keep this area clean rather than go there and clean that. Uh, and say that you then have a kind of a, um, a surveillance robot that goes around and checks, uh, okay, somebody spilled a, a drink here, or here is there's a lot of dust. There wouldn't be the same robot taking care of the problem, and the robot that saw it notices the problem doesn't take care of it at all. It just tells other robots that here's your work and here's a task suitable for you and, and whatever. Huh? That's true, and, and it's very, very difficult, even I think in the near future, to make <coughs> robots that are multitasking, do mm. multiple things. Mm. And that's very difficult at this time. Probably mm. what you're going to get is more, more likely is mm. single task robots. That's what we have now. And then eventually moving to an era where there'll be single task robots working in groups to accomplish more. And then eventually the robots will be of different types of tasks supporting each other. So actually it's possible now even for the single task robots, that these robots as they move around, say a mobile ground robot, to do sensors to add to to your point, mm -hmm. to communicate other types of things that they see or discover or find out. So mm -hmm. for example, the temperature's getting hotter, or there is fact, uh, instead of, uh, uh, if you're vacuuming, this, in fact, this particular piece of, of flooring is wet as opposed to just dirty. Mm -hmm. And so you can see that as well, to be able to add that fairly, fairly quickly mm -hmm. to a robot that maybe can sense their environment, do one thing very, very well, but in, in terms of sensing that environment, can let other systems know that something is up. Mm. So together that we'll get a, 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 a larger robotic system doing it together rather than each robot being very capable. Right, and this is complex thing. This mm. is complex stuff. So mm. you know, he, we sit here glibly assuming that communication is not going to be a problem or that there's lack of standards, technologies, or for whatever. For example, for um, integrating uh, devices within the home. There's a number of different standards that are evolving at this particular time. Mm. But as I mentioned earlier, 
the impetus behind, say, Internet of Things initiatives and architectures from massive, massive vendors coming in, a lot of money, will push that. Eventually, those standards will be developed, mm. and those communications will get better over time. So we're moving into an era of now 5G, 5G communications. We're moving into the era of IP6 in terms of the number of nodes on the Internet, and we're talking to you know, billions and trillions and even more than that, more than stars in the sky, more than stars in the universe, uh, even more than, than molecules and that sort of thing. So you know, this stuff is moving forward, and much like it was driven by the military and much like it was driven with mobile communication, the IoT will push a lot of this to get to the type of of a uh, vision that we're both discussing here. We also see that in the use of robots, that uh, when people get a lawnmower robot, they get a vacuum cleaner robot, they actually adapt their way of living and their, uh, their way of behaving to that robot because they want the service the robot provides. Yes, and, they, and, and people are willing to, to do that, and they, 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 they do more than just adapt their environment. Mm. They personalize the robots in many cases, particularly with the consumer robots. The, the percentage of people using iRobot's Roomba who give it a name or, or, or decorate the robot in some ways, it's, it's huge. And people just have this you know, natural built-in affinity for things that m move around or appear lifelike, and then they add, add the attributes of a lifelike entity to those things. Mm -hmm. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing, and it's not something that's going to go away. And in fact, that's why uh, many people are betting on this notion of these new generation of these, of these sort of <coughs> uh, robotic entities that will act as sort of the, the, the nexus of control and social interaction as a house, something like Jibo's ro uh, Jibo Inc.'s Jibo robot, which is a social personal robot. The robot will interact with people in, in a way. Right now, it's for the first version will be fairly limited in terms it'll take photographs, it'll give you access to the internet, and you act with it socially. But over time, that will become the nexus of control for other things in the house because people, frankly, would rather talk to that little robot that has limited motion and can do some things that look somewhat uh, lifelike compared to uh, an ambient intelligence or dealing with a cell phone or something like that. It's because that's how we're used to interacting with people. Uh, and, and of course, the, the Jibo and what we're seeing in that space is also the first version of something that's going to be developing over decades. And it's going to be, it's gonna, if you look at the, the current version, that is um, like a computer was in 1975. The version of the Jibo we're talking about here in 2035, when we're here at Robo Business, is going to be vastly different. And I think, as you say, this is going to be our gateway uh, our, our C-3PO and R2-D2, if you will, of, of robotics, where one communicates with people and the other communicates with robots and they team up. Well, maybe. There, there's much study to, that, that, that points out that people would prefer, if they're going to be dealing with uh, something other than a human or an animal, that it has some sort of attributes that make it look like a real entity as opposed to a box or as opposed to something just amorphous in the room that just talks to you. But we yeah. also see that in, in, in the Baxter from, Robo, from, from Rethink Robotics, they have, the, they have the face screen, so to speak, and they can communicate uh, with you by being a frowny face or a happy face and looking at, so they move the screen and the eyes before they move the arms, like you and I do. If I was reaching to pick up, I would first move my hand and the, uh, first move my eyes and uh, face and then, then move my hand, and, and, and it, that's the way humans are used to communicating, and that's why we also like it, especially you mentioned here the cooperating robot where, where people are working in close cooperation with robotics. I think that, that this kind of communication would be very important for that. 
I mean, yes, and, and they've quantified this with a number of different studies, but we all know it in, internally. We do what my, my grandma would call horse sense. Mm. <clears throat> we all know that this to be true. Mm. And so, yes, you have the research to back it up, decades of research, but now everybody kind of knows that people might prefer working that way. Mm. Although sometimes people will take, and like we mentioned earlier, and add human-like attributes to this, or, or lifelike attributes to things that are not lifelike, like mm. a, like a, 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 a iRobot's Roomba or an automobile, for example. Mm. It's probably a really good example of that, mm -hmm. where they give them names and they treat them as something other than just a machine. Yeah, I also know that, that iRobot had that experience when they were using the packbots and they were using them to defi uh, diffuse uh, IEDs or, 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 or ordinance, and they, of course, eventually blew up. And, uh, and and it, the guys will bring it in from the field and they say, can you fix this? And they yes. say, nah, it's too gone, far gone, you'll get a new one. No, fix this one instead. Because they were actually, they, they were thinking the, the, that, that this robot was, was a part of their team and they wanted that one fixed, <coughs> not a new one. <laughs> and sure, they all have names. Yeah, yeah, exactly. of course they do. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's, that, that, this is a very interesting trend and it also brings robots into our homes, which is a very hard space to address. So. It's a hard space for a couple of reasons. I mean, the consumer robotics marketplace, other than sort of home care, lawn care, has really not taken off yet. Um, you know, you have maybe educational toys, maybe smart toys, and maybe some educational robots. Um, but in terms of other things, it hasn't really worked out that well. So we have the floor cleaners, they've done fairly well. Mm -hmm. We have the robotic uh, lawn mowers, they've done well. Pool cleaners is mm -hmm. another one. And then sort of the educational toys and the smart toys and the educational robots. Mm -hmm. Then after that, there hasn't been uh, a whole lot of success. People are looking at maybe mobile robots for security, but or mobile telepresence for the home. But you know the value, and particularly the value given the cost of these particular technologies, just hasn't worked correctly yet. And so there's there's people are still struggling to bring robots into the home outside of home care, lawn care, toys, and educational kits. Yeah, because the cost is so much bigger than the potential return, right? Right. It's just not worth the money. I mean, you could probably build a robot that would uh, that would push snow out of your or low levels of snow off your lawn or something like that, and maybe pick up leaves. But it's too much money for the amount of work. And then also, frankly, there is, and this has been also demonstrated, that there is something um, that people enjoy doing certain things around the home. So for example, to mow your lawn, you would think it, for me, I would love to have a robot mow my lawn. But my wife likes mowing the lawn. She enjoys that. There's something about, it's like gardening. You know, why would you build a robot to garden your house? Or, you know, people just enjoy doing that. So there's that as aspect as well. That includes things like walking the dog. I mean, yes, you could probably do a, a robot, but who would want to do that? People just enjoy doing that. So in there, the, 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 the business value or the value, there isn't one to be demonstrated. No, and I think that that's also something, uh, except walking the dog, uh, I think that mowing the lawn, taking care of the kitchen, preparing food, clearing the table, I think that we have to accept this um, duality there, that some t basically you could say, watch a film on TV or go to the cinema. It's both, not either or. Uh, sometimes it's better to hang out at home, and sometimes it's better to go see the blockbuster in the cinema. And I talked to Melanie Weiss about this in, a, in an earlier interview, and you were saying that, if we were supposed to build a robot that could clear a table, it would need certain concessions, basically what you and I talked about with the Internet of Things. And she said that um, it could work, but you have to make all your plates orange, for instance. And, and I was saying that, yeah, I'd, I would accept that. And, and I think most people would now and then. 
I mean, not always when we have the beautiful dinner party at a Sunday evening or a Saturday evening, we probably wouldn't. But for the days when we have uh, so much to yep. do and so little <laughs> time to do it, we would make these concessions so that the robots could actually work and um, to meet the robot halfway. But again, it, it's, it's a bit too much money for, for not enough service yet. So we, we're waiting for a breakthrough there. But I see that mobile manipulators are get, getting cheaper, arms are getting cheaper. Uh, what, what, what's your trend there? Do you see that the fundamentals that we build our robots with, are they getting better priced or? In terms of man manipulators, that's definitely the case. I mean, they used to be much more expensive. And, and for the ones that are really highly capable, where you need that level of exactitude, yeah. they still are very expensive. But at the same time, at one time, there was only those. So now you have a proliferation of sort of lower cost robotic arms. And so right now, there hasn't been a movement to, uh, or a lot of applications for mobile manipulators. So we have many, many robots that are great at moving around and localizing themselves and navigating autonomously. Uh, and they usually drag some sort of uh, packet with it, either a sensor package or they have a sweeper or they have, uh, they're carrying uh, objects in a uh, industrial environment or whatever. So they have this thing that kind of drives itself and it'll carry something around. At the same time, we have a whole generation of very effective stationary manipulators that are very, very good, good at doing things. You have this one group that's very good at moving stuff around and another class of robots that are very good at manipulation where what you don't have is a robot that can find its way autonomously to some location and then do something when it's there in the physical world, manipulate something in the physical world. So there's a lot of research going on now to develop you know, mobile manipulation systems. Uh, the problem is uh, that these things can become expensive, and it's difficult to do. Once you add an arm to uh, a mobile robot, then you start getting limited in terms of speed, and there's other issues related to stability, and a whole pile of other things. In the consumer space, it gets difficult because it adds too much cost. Hmm. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough thing to do, but again, you can see a number of applications, primarily in the commercial space, where it'd be very interesting to have that capability, to hmm. move someplace autonomously, and then when you get there, do something uh, in, in, the, in the physical world and manipulate objects. Hopefully over time, we've already talked about levels of autonomy, we've talked about navigation autonomy, basically done in indoor environments, and if you get to a level of task autonomy, now go somewhere, do something. Yeah, I've seen this uh, implemented in a, in a chip fabrication facility because those are different uh, if you relate them to, to normal production, which usually progresses from, from point A to point B and you add stuff to something and in, in one end comes a lot of pieces and in the other end comes a car. Chip fabrication, depending on the chip you're producing, needs to go between different machines many different times. So they're usually uh, a square with, with a machine in each node. Uh, and, and so say, say that you're making 50,000 of this chip and it has to go to 12 different locations in different order. It isn't realistically possible to make this uh, flexibly without what you're saying, and this is exactly what they did. They took a mobile base, put an arm on it, and, and, and put a receiving station uh, and a delivery station on each machine. So the robot could go up, pick out a number of, 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 of pieces that were in production, deliver them to another robot's receiving station, and kind of give them to that machine. So this could, this allowed this ship factory to, to basically route material dynamically. So it could go from any machine to any machine at any time. One machine just said, okay, I'm done with this, come and get it, uh, and you know where it's supposed to go. 
and it, the robot went there, picked it up, and delivered it to, to, to the other machine, and everything just worked out that way, rather than the linear, regular uh, sure. conveyor belt thing. Yeah. And that goes back to this whole notion of flexibility or agility mm. for manufacturing or for almost anything now, mm. is to become much more flexible and agile in your business. Mm. Um, mm. For almost any business you can think of, particularly, particularly today in sort of this um, <coughs> you know, highly competitive, uh, globally linked world. Mm. And mm. so, yeah, that's, the, that's, that's what all companies are looking to do. Mm. And you can facilitate that with robotics technology. Mm. And then we'll simply have to wait for that to grow the volume so that costs come down and then we'll have to return to the to the private space because I think uh, I'm a father of children and I would love to have a robot that picks off everything off the floor and cleans up during the night. That would be a lovely product. <laughs> well, I know, yeah, well, it's been a long time for me, but I know exactly what you think. The amount of things on the floor to pick up just to put them in a basket or yeah. something is just incredible, yeah. I, I would be yeah, prepared to pay quite a lot for that robot, so that's a challenge to you guys out there. Uh, what I'm thinking also is that we have to, to say a few words about the autonomous car. What do you think about when will we see one and what changes will that bring to society? Well, actually, you know, I think it's going to be faster than you think. It'll be incremental. These are all pretty much obvious. And mm. so we'll add different types of assistive technology and eventually get on to uh, full autonomy at some point. And they're going to have to change the infrastructure and a variety of other things. But it's interesting to think, because usually when you think about the reasons of moving to autonomous cars, okay, or autonomous trucks, it's usually given in a matter of, you know, we can reduce the number of accidents, we can reduce congestion, we can uh, improve the, the environmental issues, and, and, and a variety of other things, all good. It all sounds great. But I recently saw a film but I don't remember the company that put it out, where it just had a, a, a young girl um, narrating uh, and using claymation to show what the world would be like. And she started focusing on other things that this would, in, would, would drive in our environment. So for example, you could come up to a time where there would be no traffic signs or no traffic lights. All of that stuff that's up there would just go away. You could come to a time where maybe there's a four-lane road, two lanes going one way, two lanes going another, and you have that now because of the uh, cars, they, we drive inefficiently. I mean, we're pretty good at it, but it's inefficient. You could actually just remove two of those lanes because the cars would be all computerized and all interneted with each other, and it would be highly optimized, meaning that what was once a lane of traffic can now become a lane for people to walk through. All the parking that we have for our, each individual cars would go away, or much of it would go away, because the cars themselves, you would get a car when you come out of the airport, the car would come and pick you up and drive you home. Or if you needed a car at home, it would come and get you. It doesn't have to sit out while you go in and go to the airport and sit there for a couple of days. So there's other things in addition to you know, the, the increased efficiency, the better the environmental impact, the safety impact, all that kind of is all great stuff to just give you more time. The amount of time you spend in a car would be great to have so that you could do other things but it would also impact us in a lot of other ways that are kind of tangential to all that, but in fact, might even be more of a benefit than these kind of things that we can measure very, very easily, like number of accidents and that sort of thing. So can you imagine where there used to be uh, a parking lot are now trees in a park? And so where you used to be able to walk and you have a sidewalk that's basically made for two people, well now it can hold five people going across. Mm -hmm. So it's, it gets very interesting uh, once you start projecting on where this will go 
as it as it evolves over time. Yeah, because we exactly what we talked about before that we, we accommodated the new technology of the car. We adapted our cities, and I recently had the pleasure of walking through Paris, and we, we saw how much space the cars were taking. And I, uh, the, the part we walked through was very old, and I was thinking, wonder how this place looked before the cars. And, and it must have been a totally different place yes. where people could move freely and go th however they they wished, uh, and, and they could meet each other, and they could they weren't divided up by the fact that here's a road, here's lots of cars coming at high speed, we can't be there. So I think that what this film showed you, and, and this is a very interesting aspect that that, that I haven't be, haven't um, thought about before, uh, that it's going to have wide ranging. Uh, consequences rather than just the, as you said the more uh, the more obvious ones and it might impact in some ways that we might feel uncomfortable with because this in this particular film at intersections all the cars just go at once because they can communicate with each other and they can kind of interleave with each other you know while driving so in fact you know you don't have a system where all the cars stop and you wait for one one group go and one group to, to hold and wait for them in fact they all can go because they all know within millimeters of how to move through this particular thing. So it would be like driving in, you know, you know in an environment where might, you might feel very uncomfortable. But I think over time, you would just realize that in fact, you know, it's all handled. It's going to take a while to get used to that. Yes, when, you're, yeah, well. when you're approached in intersection and you just wish. Yeah. And the first time, the first hundred times that happens to me, I'm probably going to be a bit yeah. anxious. Yeah, so, so, you know, I don't know when this would evolve, but you can see, you know, we're not attaching a t time limit here. So, you know, we're leaving, you know, will this occur? Yes, it will occur. So it's just a matter of, of time. So when it will occur is another whole question. But, mm. you know, it's going to be messy and it's going to take time, but eventually we'll get there. It'll be cobbled together because at one time, like you said, there were no roads. There were no parking lots. There were no parking uh, buildings to park in. There wasn't traffic lights there what and all this stuff just evolved organically over time mm. and now it runs pretty well for the most part i mean there are a lot of accidents but if you consider the number of people on the road all the time i'm amazed that mm. it isn't like a fireball constantly as you just drive down the road yeah it's, uh, i i noticed that i thought about that too when i think about driving it's amazing that you're allowed to do it <laughs> I mean, it, and that it actually works that well, uh, and and um, yeah, but it, that's an amazing thing, and, and and I think that this is what we're going to see in other areas in robotics too. Um, but the self-driving car is such a good example of it. It's easy to illustrate, uh, but yeah, it, it, so, so having having these new areas come in, and we see the direct change, and we can talk about that. But there's also going to be secondary and third, fourth, fifth generation change going far from that. And some of it is going to be uh, something that takes a while to get used to. But other things we are just going to say, wow, this is so cool. Yeah, you can see it moving in other areas. So, for example, even something like shipping. Mm -hmm. These massive cargo ships. About 30% of their costs for those trips are people. Now, you really don't need, once you're out of the harbor, do you really need a whole lot of direction. Again, this isn't dri driving on a road. This is pretty open for the most part. And they, they, go, they go fairly quickly, but they aren't moving along at 85 miles an hour or whatever, like something like that. So imagine just transportation of cargo ships. Just in, and we're talking about these things are, are heavily laden with technology as it is. And we have satellites encircling the globe. 
So it'd be very easy for these ships to actually, in some ways, reduce the amount of crew that they have and just move through, uh, um, move through autonomously to some degree. So two questions. What are we talking about in robotics 2025? 10 years. 10 years, it's a substantial amount of time. Hard problems can be addressed in that time. Yeah, I, well, hard problems can be addressed at that time. So what I suspect you'll be seeing is a lot more uh, assistive technology and some levels of autonomy being added to self-driving cars, or driving cars, not completely self-driving, mm -hmm. but certainly uh, some capabilities there. That'll, that'll just move on, and over time we'll add more capabilities. The other thing you'll probably see is I will, th I will think you'll see greater uh, use of mobile robots in places like hospitals and again, in warehouses. Right now, they're just beginning to proliferate in warehouses and distribution centers. So in 10 years time, I suspect that's going to be commonplace technology for a lot of delivery and sort of uh, internal supply chain or intralogics, they sometimes call Will it. Will we see them in the supermarket too, stocking shelves? Um, in shops and stores? I don't think you'll see that. I do think the hospitality marketplace, there's a lot of initiatives in there. So doing things like these robots that we've seen here, RoboBusiness, might be able to deliver a newspaper or deliver an orange juice or something like that up to your room. We'll have to see if there's an ROI figure attached to that, uh, whether it makes sense. You know, in some cases, I haven't heard of the hotel industry suffering because they couldn't get people at a, at a at a, at a price where they can't have somebody do that personally. Like, for example, drop newspapers in front of your hotel door every day. Um, so, you know, are they really developing a technology kind of in search of, uh, you know, they have a technology, now it's in search of an application. That might be the case for that. But you also have to take in consideration also the use of these things as a marketing tool. So there's a dollar value added to that as well. You know, we have this robotic technology that allow you to, to come into your, in, into your hotel and, and does it. And people just, for some reason or another, they're just uh, enamored with that. I do believe you'll start seeing more in public places. So things such as um, in stores to act as uh, helpmates and avatars. They don't have to do a whole lot. All they have to do is give you this, you know, they recognize you when you walk in or they might be able to tell you, can I help, can I help you or assist you? They probably won't do a whole lot of manipulation still even 10 years time at this particular time, but they will be a lot more mobility and you'll start seeing those more into public, in the public sphere. And they're looking for applications for it. So things maybe such as security robots for things such as malls or maybe the peripheries of airports and that sort of thing. So a lot more mobile service robots I think will become much more common at this particular time. Which is also a great way to introduce robotics to the general public. If they interact with the robot in their local supermarket, they want to know where is, uh, where is the lemon pepper. I'm new to this store, could you show me where I can find this and that and the other thing. Uh, this is a great way to introduce them to robotics too. The more they see them, the more likely they are to accept them in their homes. True, and, and, and the, again, there's a marketing and emotional appeal to these types of things, but on the other hand, you know, there are think people like dealing with humans as well. So for example, if someone who wants to walk into the store and they ask someone, you know, can you show me the peppers? They said, oh, I, I made, you know, I made dinner with peppers last night. I, you know, we're having a sale on these peppers. People like that and they enjoy that. Mm. You won't get that from a robotic system. No. I do think that 10 years from now, you're going to have a lot smarter robots. Mm. And I think they're going to be much more highly connected with you know, the public spaces, uh, the workplace, in the home, um, and just going to be much greater levels of connectivity. Um, I do think that, that there'll be new types of applications we're unaware of yet. 
I mean, basically, we start hitting a wall. And the robotics has sort of done this. It's kind of moved it in, in, in leaps and bounds, and then it's held up a little bit. We found real applications. We found real applications in industrial robots. That's a given, and we've come new types of versions. We found applications on autonomous cars. We found applications with mobile service robots in hospitals, and warehouses, and distribution centers, and other ways. And now we're trying to see if we can take these mobile service robots and bring them into other places, like hotels, or like in the malls, or in like in museums. But we don't know if those marketplaces are going to play out yet. Um, and I suspect over time we'll start seeing other real marketplaces evolve, much like we saw with, with uh, mobile service robots in, for, for supply chain delivery services. Um, where those things will be, I don't quite know. It's, you know. it's not as easy as you think. If, this was, if robotics was easy, there'd be many, many, many more people into it. It's not as easy as making money in software, because we deal with this, the physical world and interacting with the physical world, moving through it and manipulating objects in it. Um, and it, it, it's, it's tougher to build systems. So there's still a sense of like, you know, what are these next generation applic uh, applications? People are reaching out. They're reaching out with mobile telepresence. They're reaching out with, um, uh, that's one type of applications. They're reaching out with these new social robots. We don't know how that marketplace is going to play out. They're reaching out with new classes of, of uh, robotic toys, and they're reaching out with a number of other things. And so some of them will succeed and some of them won't. Mm. Uh, but mm. the technology will improve, uh, yeah. definitely. More autonomy, more intelligence, more connectivity. Now I'd like to thank you for taking the time to do an interview. Oh, thank, thank you, very, you much. very much. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you. I hope you liked this episode of the podcast version of Robots in Depth. This episode is produced together with Vvolver. Vvolver is a platform and community providing engineers informative content that help them innovate. It's how engineers stay cutting edge. Optomica is the founding sponsor for Robots in Depth. Optomica runs anything in modular robotics. Dream, rent, build. Visit optomica.com to connect. I'm your host, Per Sherboy. Until the next episode, thank you for listening.